pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. But before we get started today, let's go ahead and say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we have the opportunity to learn about you and worship you today. Uh, please bless everybody who's out there listening or who will listen and uh, help them to learn more about you and uh, grow closer to you every day. Amen. All right. So we are in our third week of Pictures of Christ. Two weeks ago, we introduced the series and gave you three kind of keywords: uh, shadows, pictures, which is title, and types. And all of these things uh, are just terms we use to describe uh, stories and uh, things in the Old Testament and how they kind of relate to Christ. All right, so the first week we gave an example of a shadow. We gave uh, the sacrificial lamb. All right, it's a shadow for Christ. Before we had to sacrifice the lamb uh, to atone for our sins, but now Jesus died on the cross and uh, <clears throat> paid the price for everybody. He was the perfect lamb. All right, so we'll do a lamb here. All right, we did a picture of David and Goliath. Just like David conquered Goliath, Jesus conquered sin on the cross. All right, types, we talked about Joseph. All right, Joseph and how he and his character were a lot like Jesus because they both uh, were called at a young age. They both had a purpose to preserve life. All right, and how they were very similar. Last week, I introduced a fourth term. I called it a foil. All right, this is typically a literary term. But a foil is when we compare two things that are different, all right, have some similarities, some differences, and we're able to learn a little bit more about them because we do this comparison. So we compared Adam and Eve at the fall of man uh, and Jesus. All right, and there's similarities that uh, have us draw this comparison, but essentially through Adam and Eve, uh, one man brought sin to many, to all, actually, all right? And through Jesus, one man brought salvation to many. Okay, that's kind of the main differences that we looked at. So, why are we doing this, all right? What do all of these things have in common? Why are we talking about shadows, pictures, types, foils? The answer is, God put them in the Bible so that we could recognize Jesus Christ. So that we could say, hey, that Jesus guy reminds me of a, a bunch of other things in the Bible. Jesus Christ must be the Savior that God promised. So today, or so that's why we study these, so we are able to recognize Christ, all right? That's the whole purpose of what we're going over. 
add foil up here and we want to recognize Christ. Alright, we want to be able to do that in the Bible but also throughout our lives. Okay, so we're going to pick up not necessarily where we left off. We're going to look at another picture of Christ in Genesis. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in these days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. All right, so we're following the timeline of the Bible. We start with creation, and then we go to Adam and Eve. <clears throat> After the fall of man, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they have three children that the Bible mentions, <clears throat> Cain, Abel, and Seth. Cain murders Abel and is punished by God, who condemns Cain to be a, a fugitive and a vagabond. And from Adam to Noah, there are nine generations. So uh, nine generations of families. This uh, person begot this person. And we, from Adam, we get through Seth down to Noah. Okay? And so Noah's the guy we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> in nine generations, though, this world becomes engulfed in sin. All right? Every intent of, the men, of men's heart is to do evil all the time. All right, let's continue Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made men on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. All right, it says that the Lord was sorry. In other translations, it says that he repented that he had made man. But we have to stop and think for a second, all right? Did God change his mind about his creation? Does he regret that he created man? That's kind of what this seems to imply, but we've got to be careful. God doesn't change his mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But sometimes he may switch the way he reacts as we humans change. Okay? As a righteous God, he knows what's best for our situation. In this situation, humans are completely evil. I'm sure this brought God a lot of sorrow. Let's continue on now that we've got that straight. Picking up at verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So God resolves to destroy the earth. But there's one thing, one thing that happens here. We're introduced to Noah, a just man and a man who walks with God. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, 
Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for which the saving for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So let's make a list here. What do we know so far about Noah? All right. From the excerpt we read in Genesis and what Paul tells us in Hebrews. <clears throat> Got our friend Noah here. First, he was just. Okay? Comes right out and says that. All right? Or he behaved justly. Secondly, it says perfect in his generation. All right. So what does this mean? It means that he was unaffected by the world around him. While everybody else is committing sin and thinking evil all the time, Noah is not. All right. He is, number three, walking with God. All right. Number four, he has great faith. It's very explicit about these things. He had great faith. Uh, faith, in my opinion, should be considered a verb. It's not something that you have. Well, it is something you have, but it's more specifically something you do. Take action. Noah certainly acted on his faith by building the ark, all right? By building the ark, he saved his family. All right, he believed God even though it had never rained on earth before. All right, and his belief was rewarded by saving his family. Notice it doesn't say that his sons, Sham, or Shem, Ham, and Japheth, were faithful. All right, it only talks about the faith of Noah. He was rewarded by the saving of his family as well. All right, six, uh, we're going to say he publicly confessed his faith, or he was a preacher. Okay, how do we know this? It says he publicly confessed his faith. When it says he condemned the world, it means that Noah was a preacher. Okay, he called everyone out, or everyone around him, to believe in God. He said, uh, punishment is coming. Repent now, okay? He was telling everybody about what God had told him, and yet nobody believed. All right, they all just kind of laughed at him and said, why are you building a boat? It's never even rained before. All right, and the last one, number seven, his reward was eternal. Okay, his reward was eternal. So by his faith, Noah became an heir of the righteousness of Christ. Okay, so here's the question when we take this list, we look at these things. 
is Noah a picture of Christ? Is Noah a picture of Christ? I think an argument could be made, but I'm going to take the, uh, could be made that Noah is a picture of Christ, okay? But I'm going to take a little bit different of a position because I think there's a better picture of Christ in this story, okay? Noah is a great, great example of Jesus' grace and the benefits of faith, all right? But he is not our picture today. So let's keep going. We do a lot of reading here. We can get the story under our belt. All right, so I'm gonna start reading at Genesis chapter six, verse 13. I'm gonna keep going uh, through chapter seven and then parts of chapter eight as well, okay? Genesis chapter six, verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Cubit is like the width from your elbow to the tip of your finger, about 18 inches. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind of animals after their kind. And of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself. And it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all God commanded him. So he did. We're at chapter 7 now, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also, seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive in the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy them from the face of the earth, all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. 
So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass, after seven days, that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and then the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird after its sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly in the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth at the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. And the ark rested in the seventh month and the seventeenth day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. Jumping to verse 15 in chapter 8. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal and every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families, went out to the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a smoothing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. All right. So we got our story under our belts now. Let's make another list here. Let's talk about the ark. All right. Let's talk about the ark. 
All right, a couple things, six things actually, that I want to bring to your attention. Number one, there was a plan. All right, we talked about how big it was and how many decks it would have and the pitch and the windows and the doors. All right, this is very clear to us that there was a plan. The ark was not an afterthought from God and it, he had always planned to save those who were faithful. All right, so there was a plan. Okay, number two, the ark was all sufficient. Okay, what does this mean? Even though the ark was this huge ship, about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall, okay, it was just right. It fit all the kinds of creatures that God had created, along with food and water and everything else that was needed. And I'm sure there wasn't much extra space, okay? It was absolutely the perfect design, okay? Number three, Noah and his family were called to enter. Okay, well, I'm gonna read verse, uh, chapter seven, verse one again. And the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. All right, so three, there was a call. Okay. Number four, <clears throat> the ark had one door. The ark had one door. All who entered the ark came in through that same door. Large, small, clean and unclean, male and female. All right. Number six, it was completely covered in pitch, inside and out. Covered in pitch, inside and out. All right. In the original Hebrew, the word that we have translated here as pitch simply means to cover or even to take away. Okay, so this pitch is what literally covers the ark and keeps the storm from entering. All right. And then number six, our last one here, the ark took the punishment. Okay. The ark took the punishment. All right. The storm of God's wrath, the punishment for men thinking evil continuously was this flood. All right. And the ark took the beating of that flood. All right. The storms and the rain hit the outside, but all who were within were kept safe and dry. So kind of the same question we asked about Noah, have we found our picture of Christ? I think we absolutely have, all right? <clears throat> so, 
let's connect the dots from the ark to Jesus. Mm. We'll go over here. Okay. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Start connecting here. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. All right. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before time began. All right. So this right here is evidence that Jesus Christ and uh was part of the plan. Jesus coming to die and uh, die for us and save us from our sins was part of the plan from before creation, right? <clears throat> so we know for a fact that number one, all right, is a direct relation. God always planned to redeem us, all right? He knew that we would mess up. He knew that uh, we would sin. And he always had a plan to die for us and save us from our sins. All right? The ark was all sufficient. Okay? We're going to say Jesus is all sufficient. Okay? Jesus is also all that we need. He is perfect to satisfy all of our needs. He can provide everything that we ask for even that which we do not know we need. But even more, his death on the cross paid the whole price. Okay? Every last little bit he took on him. All right? And he left nothing for us to pay. We are free and clear as long as we ask. All right? Number three, Noah and his family were called to enter. Okay? I'm going to say, Jesus calls us. Right? He calls us into his ark of salvation. All right, Just like God said to Noah, come into the ark, Jesus calls us to enter into his salvation. He calls, <clears throat> he calls us to follow him and to take part in his grace. Okay? All we have to do is answer. Number four, the ark had one door. All right. Jesus is the one door. Okay? Just like the ark had one door, there is only one path into salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is that one door into salvation. All right? Number five here. It was completely covered in pitch. Okay? So I'm going to put Jesus blood is our pitch okay just like we said that the hebrew translated to cover or take away all right just like the pitch was used to cover those inside the ark to take away god's punishment the blood of jesus shed on the cross protects us from the wrath of sin it takes away our punishment okay and the last one, <clears throat> number six, the ark took the punishment. 
pretty easy here. Jesus took our punishment. We learned last week that the punishment of death is, uh, or sin, the punishment of sin is death, okay? Just like the ark took the beating and the damage of the flood, Jesus took the punishment for our sin when he died on the cross. He sheltered us from, uh, from God's righteous judgment by taking the punishment for our sin upon himself. So I think the ark is a pretty awesome picture of Jesus, okay? Everyone on the ark of Jesus Christ is forever safe, right? Forever safe from the flood of this, uh, the punishment of death. For he cannot fail to save us all. He cannot fail to save all who trust him. That's all I've got. Thank you very much.